This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. To episode number 77, double sevens here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson. Uh, Nick, the viewers can't see it because I have my shirt zipped up because I've got a green screen, but you and I woke up actually wearing the same exact shirt this morning. <laughs> so there's a great start. Uh, for the for the audio listeners, uh, what shirt are we wearing this morning? Uh, we're what we're wearing Dollar Dollar Bill Carrill. <laughs> great great shirt um soda stick co right if i'm not mistaken soda stick co and uh yeah the, the dollar signs over the sunglasses on the kid's face is uh you know definitely is what he's seen and what he's been seeing all summer <laughs> question is you know can we actually get that in writing and in a contract for you know a few years here with the minnesota wild so that we can actually play again because that's really <laughs> what we're looking for yeah I, I was gonna say does the dollar sign actually just say 9.5 mil on yours if you put a piece of tape on it um anyway <laughs> We're going to we're going to talk about that um, in our main uh, show, as well as the unveiling of the Minnesota Wild uh, Winter Classic uniforms. Our thoughts on that. We did a poll on that as well. And we're going to discuss what our fans thought and then give our take as well. Then the extra ice session. We had an offer sheet that we discussed last week. We are now seven days past that offer sheet and it was not accepted. So or it was accepted. It was not matched, I should say. And we're going to talk about that in our extra ice session, as well as a quick little tidbit here in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. That's what we've got coming in store for you in this show and without further ado mr maxson let's get started center ice view news and notes center ice view provides you with the best coverage of st cloud state huskies hockey from game notes recaps photos and more go to centericeview.com start outside the united states and canada and mexico we're just going to start international news you know we're just going to go across a couple of oceans here that was, uh, but that was a that was a beautiful like if this was it? if this was my morning news i would you really sold me on the fact that this is not international <laughs> news <laughs> i try to make it clear for the fans noah uh but it is it is kind of fun stuff here uh for the women's of course canada did claw their way back from a two goal deficit uh to eventually win gold in overtime uh marie philip Poulin, who uh probably is if not one of the best if not the best women's hockey players in the entire world uh capping off the three two victory for the canadians over the united states uh a couple of st cold state women's hockey players that were participating in 
in the tournament. However, not part of that gold medal game. Yanina uh, Newland had a goal and was even uh, for her plus minus for Team Finland in the uh, the tournament. Uh, for Czech Republic, uh, Klaria Hamlerova talented and assist with was plus three. Uh, uh, Czech Republic, uh, how about that? How about Japan yeah. taking them out? Uh, I believe yeah. that was the quarterfinal or the semifinal round. Uh, pretty interesting stuff there, but uh, just a fantastic team to watch for Czech Republic. High flying, high offense. Uh, too bad they couldn't go a little bit farther in the tournament. And then a former Husky standard, Laura Kluge for Team Germany, also was a plus one. Did not uh, register a point, but was definitely um, visible on the ice for, for that team. But let's go back to the men's side here, Noah. Uh, finally, some news that both uh, the NHL as well as the uh, IHH, uh, excuse me, the double IHF. I always want to say double uh, IHF for whatever reason. I'm not yeah. sure why. Uh, but either do way, you, there do, is. Do you, do you remember how to spell your name when you wake up in the morning, or do you? What is? To... I don't even know my name half the time, honestly. So, uh, but the Olympics and the NHL have come to an agreement, which is uh, good news for both the players and the fans, I believe, especially for the Olympic side. Uh, that so the NHL players will now be officially taking part in the 2022 Winter Olympics that's going to be held in Beijing, China. Uh, quite a bit of deliberation. Now, a couple of the holdups, Noah, was uh, the insurance part of it. So who would pay in case there was any sicknesses, that kind of thing. Also, there's plenty of little out clauses. Again, you know, the NHL can pull out um, if games are canceled or if conditions worsen in Beijing. So there's plenty of flexibility in this agreement, which I believe I think is a good thing for both sides, uh, just in case things do end up changing. Uh, but there is an opt-out deadline for when the NHL can up, like pull out completely. That's at the end of January. Uh, coming up here in about, oh, geez, four months. Can you believe it's yeah. January four months? That's crazy. Uh, but other than that, Andy Schultz going and their players going over uh, over to uh, Beijing for the Winter Olympics. And there definitely will be some Minnesota Wild players. Uh, we'll probably have to talk about that next week. No, we should be talking some of our uh, candidates on the Minnesota Wild who probably will be suiting up for their respective countries in that battle. So, But good news for both sides. Yeah, exciting to see, hopefully, the Olympics uh, coming back to town in the NHL world, if you will. Speaking of timelines, by the way, uh, we're here Sunday, September 5th. Uh, we're less than a month away from some Huskies hockey getting started as well, too. Pretty, pretty exciting uh, for for that, obviously. And we're stoked to get another round and another season. And hopefully, like we talked about, a more normal season under our belt as well. Uh, moving over to some organizational news, we have some uh, big news out of Arizona, the NHL, and of course, the OHL, um, and their various things going on. We're going to start a little more locally um, or a little more regional, if you will, the Arizona Coyotes. They've officially filed a bid for a new arena in Tempe, Arizona, kind of something that we had talked about in a previous show. The site is a 46 acre plot near Tempe Town Lake. Uh, I don't know where that is, um, but I'm going to pretend you Arizona people know. <laughs> it's about literally five minutes southeast of the airport. It's across the river and it's kind of in like, a, I would say, an entertainment district or like a park district. And the actual plot of land that you're discussing is actually a former a city compost site. So it's uh, it's actually kind of a part of a redevelopment plan in the area just to kind of bring a little bit more entertainment um, to the area and just kind of make you set up a plot of land that's kind of, I wouldn't call it an eyesore. I actually took a little bit of a look um, uh, through some websites at, at the actual plot of land. And it's not ugly by, by any means, but you can certainly see it looks like it's like underutilized and being, it's also right on the river there. Um, could be a quite scenic uh, area there too for the, uh, for the Coyotes. They end up uh, winning the bid one and actually, you know, trying to drive. I also know that they want some, uh, I think, uh, some residential living there. Also, I think some restaurants and stuff like that yeah. too. So uh, trying to make just more use of the land more than anything. So a compost site. So the coyotes right now um, are hot garbage on and off the ice. What year? 
And they'll be playing on a site that's, well, cold garbage. So yeah, um, for a while. Composting is a good thing, though. Um, yeah, if you get a chance to have a garden and you compost, you should compost. It's an important thing. Um, the city, like you had mentioned, uh, they also took other bids as well and required those submissions by 3 p.m. Pacific time on Thursday. Um, a committee of those city staffers will now review those proposals and make a recommendation to the city council how to best utilize that plot of land, um, which they can then approve or reject that proposal. The Coyotes and the city of Tempe have reportedly been negotiating negotiating for uh, about two years or so, um, even though the Coyotes, they've been in Glendale since 2003. So um, this has kind of been a relationship that started to sour as time has gone on. Uh, and Tampa, of course, is kitty corner to Arizona State University as well, which does have their Division One men's hockey program. Uh, moving over to bigger National Hockey League news, uh, they have now noted that teams can suspend vaccinated players with exemptions. Uh, the suspensions are included if an unvaccinated player isn't allowed to travel due to regulations in a jurisdiction. A player would be docked one day's salary for each day he's unable to be with his team. So, for example, traveling to Canada, you might not even be able to get into Canada. They can't get into Canada yeah, at all. Exactly. So, therefore... Therefore, you have to stay home. You get dock pay. And uh, not to mention, there's not many players in the NHL who could stay home and keep their spot in the lineup on top of that. So um, the NHL has kind of made its stance known here. Uh, medical reasons and sincerely held religious beliefs are reportedly among the exceptions to this policy. Medical reasons, obviously very understandable. The second one, um, the religious beliefs uh, is kind of more of a subjective thing, obviously. Um, and I don't have any other information i'm guessing that's a case-by-case -case thing i'm sure they have more in the policy but um that's kind of the overarching view from what i had seen or from what I had saw, wow, that was about as North Dakota as it gets right there. Um, <laughs> testing will continue this season for players and fully vaccinated players will undergo PCR exams at least every three days. That's a lot of testing. Uh, while unvaccinated players will be tested every day if you're unvaccinated. The NHL will treat any fully vaccinated players positive COVID-19 test as a hockey-related injury, kind of similar to what they did um, last year in the current CPA. So uh, those unvaccinated players, should they decide not to get the vaccine or can't get the vaccine for whatever reason uh they're going to essentially live in a bubble uh they won't be allowed into internal venues on the road um aside from the arena practice rink and team hotel so they can't use the shared facilities at the hotel even with their teammates or host visitors in, the, in their hotel rooms at all um other than you know fully vaccinated family members and unvaccinated players they also aren't allowed to eat or drink at establishments that are open to the public so when they're traveling on the road they can't go out um and grab a drink or something like that after a game um uh, I'll get your opinion here in just a second here, Nick. Uh, fully vaccinated and masked media members will be able to interview players in the dressing rooms, according to Michael Russo. And it's estimated that as you know, roughly about 95% of the NHL players right now are actually vaccinated in the NHL, which is up from about 10% from about a month ago. Um, as far as coaches are concerned, the rules are a little bit less clear. We saw uh, this past week as well, San Jose Sharks associate coach Rocky Thompson. Uh, he was actually the latest to leave his club after a medical exemption that prevents him from taking the COVID-19 vaccine. Under the new league protocols, he is not permitted to fulfill his duties for the Sharks coaching staff at this time. So players, um, it's a little more obvious, but the coaching staffs have a little bit more kinks to, to be worked out. What did you, what'd you want to add here mr maxson so a couple of things also is that these players who are suspended for not being vaccinated um, unless they fall under those exemptions as we lined out uh, they will not be paid and from what i believe michael russo also reporting too that they would also for the time that they were suspended lose their share of uh, hrr or hockey revenue so they not only lose their paycheck but they lose that sort of that bonus money that now, mind you, HR, that's part of its ticket sales, that's merchandise sales, that's anything that they do that the league makes money, they would lose that share, that 50-50 split for the time they're, um, they're, uh, that they're suspended. So uh, they're really trying to make a stand here that 
you know, we're going to hit you in your pocketbook. You know, it's not just going to be you're suspended and you're still getting paid. No, you're losing everything. And that's including, you know, your share of leaks revenue, um, which is, I, I think, huge. Um, again, it, we've talked about it at ad nauseum, you know, these last, you know, probably 12 to 14 months about how the pandemic has really affected the financials for, well, just about everybody, but the National Hockey League, you know, it's, uh, they lost over $3.8 billion last season. Yeah. And that's, it, you know, it's just, that, it's just a business decision that has to happen. I mean, it is. And especially now that there is um, effectively a, a remedy, um, you know, and granted it's not a permanent solution, at least I don't think it's a permanent solution just yet, but it definitely is getting, buying us time to maybe come up with something a little bit different or, but better treatment options. Yeah. But now that there's something that is now FDA approved, at least for the most part, um, you know, at least in, in one vaccine that the others are supposedly going to be following suit Moderna, supposedly coming next couple of weeks as well. Um, this is where these things are headed. And uh, we saw that also locally at the University of Minnesota. If you want to live on campus, you must be fully vaccinated. Uh, St. Cloud State, part of the Minnesota state system has not at least as far as I understand, has not made an announcement that they will require anybody being vaccinated as of yet. They're just doing a mask policy. But as you mentioned, it's a business decision, and especially for the league that's trying to claw their way back up to uh, even ground here in terms of, you know, the dollar money. Um, this is a this is a necessary thing that has to be done. Yeah, I think the thing that people have to remember, uh, if something big happens with the league where there's a big COVID outbreak, the 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 best interest and best move for the league is to actually shut down shut down the league so um obviously they don't want to do that they want to create revenue and try to claw their way back at that financial deficit like you had mentioned speaking of biding your time uh the ontario hockey league they've suspended controversial montreal canadians draft pick logan mayu indefinitely after he violated quote the expectation of the appropriate conduct of an ohl player end quote the ohl does cite that november 2020 incident that we've discussed as the reason for the suspension uh the london knights player obviously has the opportunity to apply for reinstatement on or after January 1st of 2022. Whether or not Mayu is reinstated will depend on his conduct since his return to Canada, as well as any treatment and education he receives. Of course, Marshall did select Mayu with a 31st pick in the first round in this last year's draft after he said three days prior that he essentially did not want any team to draft him. Uh, yeah, this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, uh, just uh, from like a pure player development standpoint, this is an interesting one. Um, so I have to keep our eyes on this one. Uh, I think this goes back to, we spent an extra ice session on this. Now, and I'm just going to comment quickly is, mm -hmm. you know, we, we didn't have a lot of information um, surrounding, uh, you know, him specifically. And I know that we talked about, you know, during that time, you know, how, how do we just, you know, how, it's not just, trying to, you know, just move past it and try to look forward. But, you know, how does, you know, both sides recover from this? And we were under sort of the impression, uh, at least from the initial media uh, reports that, you know, there was an apology. There, it definitely felt like maybe uh, there was remorse there from what we've learned since that episode. Now was that that's maybe not the case that, and that Logan never has made an official apology um, it sounds like there was maybe some bragging behind the scenes yeah. after this picture was taken. So, uh, you know, it's definitely changed my, you know, outlook on it, you know, mm -hmm. especially when the whole debate of whether Montreal should have drafted him first, uh, you know, in the first round or maybe should he have been drafted at all. Right. I think we had that debate beforehand, but, um, I like this move, honestly, it's, and from what it sounds like is even the Ontario hockey league. And, you know, it's honest, it's, it's, it's kind of weird in a sense where, 
I think the OHL is coming to the same realization as we are, where, you know, you, you hear the initially and, you know, had they been confident, excuse me, that he indeed, um, you know, was remorseful, you know, or wasn't remorseful, then maybe was suspended him right away. Um, The fact they took this long tells me that maybe they've been following what he's been doing, or maybe more importantly, what he's not been doing. And they made a decision now, you know, almost what a month after the initial, um, a uh, story came to light here in the yeah. public. So um, I, I, again, I agree with the move. If, if the OHL is going to take a stance and, you know, almost force the hand of mind you in, in the statements, you, as you said it before, you know, the, depending on, you know, his reinstatement will depend on his conduct uh, when he returns to Canada and any yeah. treatment or education. So they're really putting it down in writing of what they want to see from him. And I completely agree with this move. Yeah. And it's uh, the ball is in my use court. And I think that that's, it's still, even though that I think our perspective of the situation has changed based on your information, I think the the process still remains the same where he's, he's getting his opportunity still to be a better person and, and have that opportunity. It's just, he's not going to be playing hockey in the OHL um, and he's going to have to move forward from there. And hopefully we all will too. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And again, in uh, three months time, uh, he, he could be back in the OHL again. It depends on his, you know, development and uh, depends on, you know, some of the steps that he's got to take, like, you know, mm-hmm. and I guess the thing, you know, we, we, you know, I, I think all of us, you know, we have, we've made mistakes in the past and, you know, certainly there are mistakes others have made that are bigger than others per se. He, he's definitely made a big one. And now it's, you know, how do you, how, how do you get yourself back in, into the right spot? How do you recover from this? So, and yeah. we do, you know, Honestly, from just a human perspective, we hope that he does, you know, and we hope that the the victim too, as we mentioned before in our last time that we talked about this, also gets the proper um, uh, justice, the proper uh, treatment, and the proper support for that victim as well. So, um, speaking of other hockey news, let's go back to the NHL here. A um, couple of new deals there to sign out, and more extensions than anything. No, uh, Colton Pareko with a very nice team friendly eight year extension, six and a half million dollars per season. Um, Ottawa extending Drake and Patterson to a six-year deal. That one surprised me a little bit, Noah. Uh, Drake has been kind of an inconsistent player and for Ottawa to extend him for six years. And I get the money made sense. Um, it's a nice uh, team-friendly deal, uh, but six years to me felt risky. But the Sens uh, getting him a nice extension. Also extending uh, from the Senators, uh, Philip Gustafson for a two-year deal. And then uh, Philadelphia also extending uh, Joel Farabee to a six-year uh, $30 million pact. So uh, a couple of bigger extensions extensions there. Uh, but then Philip Rona, Casey Middlestad, Henry, Yoki Haru, Ellie Tolvanen, and Connor Murphy, um, just but scattered around the NHL. So we got what uh, Detroit, Buffalo, uh, we've got Nashville. Nashville and then Chicago. Yep. Um, three and four year deals for those uh, younger kids. And then the Islanders finally signing some forwards, uh, finally making the announcements. Right. Um, so, and the one thing that they haven't announced, but uh, I believe Michael Russo also noting that uh, uh, f- a former wild forward Zach Parisi does supposedly have a deal in place, although it hasn't been publicly announced with the Islanders. Uh, supposedly that deal is for a league minimum, which I believe is what $750,000. Um, also Seattle adding Riley Sheehan for a year, Brian Boyle and Jack Johnson earning PTOs or professional trials with Pittsburgh and Colorado respectively. So uh, some still some movement happening right before as we hit the start of training camp. Again, Brian Boyle and Jack Johnson. Um, uh, I don't know. Those are tough for me. Um, yeah. Brian Boyle to me, I think has, I'm more of a shot than Jack Johnson. Uh, as, uh, I think Jack Johnson in his prime with LA, I think was a good defenseman, but since he's bumped from the lead, I think he's had a very tough time 
Um, you know, just kind of finding his game back. I think he lost it. I think I know he's been dealing with injuries too. So, but we'll see, you know, you never know. Yeah. We'll definitely have to keep our eye on that one. Uh, of course, professional tryout offers one of those things that uh, um, we're going to find a resolution resolution to very, very quickly as we come out of camp. Uh, and as we move forward here in the NHL season. Welcome into episode number 77. Once again, Noah Grant alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson. Nick, uh, we already mentioned that we're wearing the same shirt this morning. But other than that, uh, how are you doing this week? What are you up to? Are you finally back into the school swing of things? Or are you already over it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, back in the swing of it. Um, as I mentioned before, um, this is a pretty busy fall for me, um, you know, both in terms of just uh, getting uh, I've got a pretty heavy class load. Um and that's by design because uh, as spring comes forward and you're on the home stretch, as they say, uh, I'm supposed to graduate this spring, uh, wanted to make myself as much available as I could for an internship, as well as being able to possibly be prospective employers. So being able to travel and also just concentrate on some of the hockey stuff that's going on. So it's going to be a busy fall. Yes, I'm in the swing of it. Yes, I'm already sick of it. But, you know, at the end of it, uh, hockey season, as you mentioned, less than 30 days away here for the Huskies. Um, and speaking of, you know, sort of the season starting, uh, one thing that I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and it hasn't been confirmed, but I uh, thought that there may be like a red versus black, like inter squad scrimmage. Well, there's been that NCAA waiver uh, for exhibition games where now you can play someone in your own division and a couple of teams, even the NCHC are, you know, kind of hosting their own uh, exhibition games. I believe was it North Dakota is playing Duluth. Maybe um, there's a couple of those things happening. So I'm kind of curious as to whether St. Cloud will jump on the bandwagon and maybe play like St. John's or uh, do they play somebody else to kind of get the, get their legs underneath them. Some actual competition with another team before uh, the non-conference schedule starts out here, October 2nd, again, against St. Thomas. So um, nonetheless, we are, we're, on the home stretch here to get that uh, season started and uh, definitely uh, uh, the number two team entering it into the season, the preseason poll uh, for St. Cloud. It's going to be an exciting start to the season. Yeah, nonetheless, we're going to get started. Or as our friend Hans Bristol would always say, none of the less. I always love that. <laughs> none of the less. It was, it was amazing. Um, but nonetheless, as you mentioned, we are excited for the season right around the corner. Um, I'm excited. I, obviously, we have, don't have school tomorrow, uh, Labor Day, so it's kind of nice to have that off as well. Uh, and then Tuesday, I'm actually in the GI lab. Uh, I'm going to be starting a bunch of IVs uh, next week. Uh, it, um, who knows? It's going to be pretty sick. Yeah. I say, who knows? It could be a bloody mess as they say. Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel at least there's probably at least one listener who is driving through their vehicle right now that just got like a chill up their spine or something. Um, I mean, I get it. I mean, people don't like having IVs put in them. Um, but I gotta be honest with you, Nick, I found out over the past week and a half, it's a lot easier to put an IV in someone than get one. <laughs> probably. You know? Yeah. yeah. Really, really checks out. Actually, actually not that intimidating. It's one of the, the biggest thing is, um, you know, feeling comfortable with like the process of like, you know, people who are good at IVs, it's not so much even about the stick. It's about just the whole process and feeling like you're quick and efficient for people. Um, that's the biggest thing that, you know, takes a little bit of time to develop, but I'm excited for it. Uh, it'd be nice to have that skill under my belt and, uh, you know, test it out on some actual people for a change. So uh, those poor souls 
<laughs> but nonetheless, uh, Nick, I will it, not. I will not volunteer as tribute. Just I was gonna. I was gonna say, <laughs> if you got your GI uh, scheduled for Tuesday in the medical arts building, you might want to reschedule. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nonetheless, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of exciting. I mean, we're starting basically our clinical, so I'm on IV rotation, and then the next couple of weeks, I'm going to just be on the floor, on the fourth floor, uh, and then we're going to do an OR rotation in the operating room as well, too. So a bunch of different various things that we're going to have going on as well, and I'm really excited to uh, um, get in the nitty gritty of it. Uh, speaking of nitty gritty, we, we did have a trivia question here this last week, Mr. Maxson. It was about our Minnesota Wild. Um, and of course, we're going to talk about this in just a second, but they did unveil their winter classic jerseys. Uh, so in Minnesota Wild history, how many seasons have they not had an alternate jersey, outdoor jersey, or retro jersey, jersey during a season? Uh, so like jerseys must be worn consistently, consistently to be considered an alternate jersey. So like, you know, wearing them for a special event or once or twice a year doesn't count minus like the stadium series, um, you know, cause like the reverse retros, we wore them for, you know, quite a few games. So, yeah. Ooh, quite a few. Um, ooh, I want to say half, I'm just going to go 10. You're, you're actually not far off. Uh, our winner was Tinner Heath. The Minnesota, I've had eight seasons without a third Jersey, 2000 um, through 2003. So three seasons makes there. Sense, yeah. And yeah. the red Jersey came out. Yep. And then 2007 through 2009, they didn't have an alternate. And then Correct. of course they came out with the cream colored, um, you know, one with the, the cursive crest. And then uh, 2017 through 2020 before the re- reverse retro, they dropped that third Jersey. So it's been eight seasons. Yeah. If I got rid of the reds, thank God. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was never a fan of the reds. I just, I don't know. Uh, to me, it just, I know the, the color scheme gets a lot of criticism for the Christmas colors and, I yeah. definitely think in, in Jersey's past, there was way too much, you know, but the double color, I think it should only be more of an accent color. Um, uh, but we'll get into Jersey talk here in a second. Yeah. Though, but yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I actually always really liked the original jerseys and socks that we had when the team came out. I liked the sock style. I thought the original jerseys were all right. I kind of, I mean, I guess I don't really understand why they really moved away from it so much. The, the, the jerseys now were okay. Um, you know, they're not anything to shout about, but I mean, they're nice, they're clean, they're simple. Um, I always liked the original jerseys in my honest opinion. I, I know some people that didn't like them at all. Um, I mean, I don't know how to feel about the, uh, I don't know what, know what you would call it. The, the wild cursive <laughs> numbering on the original jerseys with kind of the, the jagged edges, if you will. Um, I mean, were you a fan of the jerseys growing up? Uh, you know, when they first came when out? I first, when I first saw it, um, you know, I think I was a fan and then I kind of, I, I know I kind of got old of them just uh, because the one thing again too, that really drove me nuts was that piping that was all the way down yeah. on the arm. I was like, who the hell designed that? But at the, <laughs> at the end of it, when they, when they changed the road Jersey first, the whites, I really liked the new whites. Um, I still do with the, the red yeah. uh, lettering. I think that's a really good accent to it. Um, I don't mind the new homes, but uh, like I said, it kind of seems cookie cutter to a degree. Um, yeah. But again, I, I do like uh, the way that, you know, they're using more of just the green and the cream as sort of like your main colors and really trying to take those accent colors and really just subtly put them in uh, the Jersey. So it's not too overwhelming. Um, yeah. So I, I do like the current jerseys. Um, the reverse retros, again, as a, as a North star fans, um, I also bought a, a shirt at the state. So I was at the state fair yesterday and I bought a, a shirt that says Norm Green still sucks because um, he does. <laughs> um, and for those Minnesota state fair uh, companions, yes, you did have to get a bucket of the sweet Martha's. 
cookie jar. Yes. So <laughs> four dozen cookies. Uh, I think we stood in line for about 10, 15 minutes towards pretty close to about 10, 10, 15 a night just to get them. But dang, they're good. And um, they're when you put them in the microwave for about 10, 15 seconds or like fresh out of the oven, they're, they're fantastic. So uh, two more days left at the fair. Um, it's kind of a bittersweet day. I know we're kind of going off on a wrong tangent here, yeah. here Noah, but um, <laughs> you know, the, the state fair is kind of one of those very bittersweet times because there's that the food there again, I, I go for the food and for the, for the, you know, for the beverages that you just can't get anywhere else. Again, there's, there's, there's some breweries that actually will only make specific beer for the fair that you actually cannot buy outside of the fairground. So you almost have to go there, get them one. Uh, there's a, uh, oh, yeah, I'm just going to stick with the tangent. I don't care. Um, so there's a, there's a brewery called Liftbridge. Um, it is after, uh, it's based in Stillwater, Minnesota. So on the East, uh, East side of it, close to Wisconsin, for those who don't know. Um, and they have what's called mini donut ale. And so mm -hmm. what they do is actually line the glass with donut sugar. So it's got that like sugar yeah. rim and then the ale is in there. And it, it's, it's funny, you taste it without the sugar and you still can kind of get hints of the, you know, the cinnamon and, you know, some other hints, but you actually, put the sugar in and you take a sip. I mean, you would not have a clue. You're it's, it, it tastes very, very close to a, a mini donut. So, um, for those who, uh, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's fun. I State was just, fun. I, I was just going back to, you know, when you have the cookies in front and you warm them up for 10 to 15 seconds in the microwave to make sure they're fresh. Um, for those who don't know, that's actually how Nick gets ready for the Huskies warming house podcast in the morning. He just pops in the microwave for right. a couple seconds and boom, he marinates. And then he's ready to go. I mean, you can't overcook it though, because this just goes to liquid. So <laughs> yeah. no. And for those on the audio class, I'm talking about my brain that I still think I have somewhere. I have no idea. Never it's been proven. I had one in the first place. It's in there. Otherwise look in the, in the little cookie tub. It might be in there. Might've left it there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Open up the back plate. Open um, up the back plate. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of back plates and shoulder plates, uh, like you mentioned, the, the Minnesota wild color palette in general. Uh, first of all, I like your, your note about, the road uniforms i don't think they get enough love to be honest with you i like the mm -hmm. current road uniforms but they did the minnesota wild did unveil their winter classic jerseys i uh, and the christmas color palette with the with the cream and kind of wheat colors is a challenging palette to work with i think that's that, that's the first thing that we have to start out with um you know so minnesota wild um uh, designers have a tough task ahead of them and i think that a lot of people some people like the reds here and there. Some people don't like them. So you already have a very divisive fan base. Um, so I kind of was curious uh, as to see what our fans thought. Uh, the other interesting thing too, I was going through some of like uh, um, essentially posts and social media posts and message boards from some of the bigger hockey media organizations uh, that had revealed the Jersey as well. And kind of wanted to see what other like people that were non-Minnesota fans, you know, had kind of thought. So I was sifting through the comments as well. Um, and it's very intriguing to see where kind of the Minnesota camp is and where the rest of the NHL fan base is on these uniforms. But let's kind of start with the uniforms themselves. Uh, first of all, of course, the, the main color of the uniform is that dark green. Uh, you've got two stripes along the arms uh, that are red with cream colored double striping around them. Uh, and then the similar stripe down on the bottom and then kind of a floating stripe in the middle of the chest, if you will. And then red shoulders as well. Uh, of course the captain C um, and the assistant captains have that little C and a up above that floating shoulder, which is kind of a interesting look. Uh, the numbers are just plain cream colored with no outline. And then a Minneapolis St. Paul, the little logo um, on the crest, which I really like. I think that's a cool little crest on the logo. And then the collar of course is cream colored as well. Uh, the shells essentially are this odd 
off color, uh, um, essentially an off color of brown, but it's the same brown that is actually part of the Minnesota Wild color palette and was actually part of the striping in the original uniform um, as well. And then the socks, same striping as the the arms on the uniform. Um, very, very dis- divisive here, Mr. Maxson. So first, let's get to what our our, um, our viewers uh, and social media friends thought here. And then I want to get your take on these uniforms for sure. We had 113 people vote in our poll. So thank you so much for doing that. If you did that, uh, four options were, do you love them? Do you hate them? Um, they tried and it's okay, I guess, or uh, change one thing and then they're good. Uh, so really, really close poll here. 32 people loved them. 31 people hated them. 30 people said, eh, it's okay. And 20 people said, if you just change one thing, then, then they're going to be totally great. Um, so, and some of the comments that I kind of come on here, um, we'll get to those in just a second. Nick, what is your impression here? If there's anything to be said for you not liking too much red in the uniforms, I got a feeling there's a couple of things you want to change on this uniform. So initial thoughts, that was like, uh, what is this? I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's one of those where, you know how they say in art, like sometimes like to really appreciate, you just kind of have to stare at it for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I did that. And it, it I kind of started to go, okay. Now, now again, what made it more difficult, not just the color palette, no, but you know, this team hasn't been around that long, you know, it's only been around for, for 20, 21 years. So you, you don't have like, you know, an original six legacy where you can go back and pull old designs and, you know, right. really sort of dip into the wild history per se, you know, mind you, the, you know, in the wild, I think did a really good job when they released it to try to, you know, give the backstory of the design and, you know, sort of a, a collaboration of like, I think St. Paul saints, uh, the old, uh, a couple of other, uh, different collabs. And, you know, they, there's a couple of pictures that showed it. Um, and after kind of reading the historical, uh, connection to the jerseys, I started to kind of appreciate it more. Now I'm kind of in the campus has change one thing that, that floating stripe that's on the chest. Um, uh, yeah, you can probably do away with those for my personal take. Um, yeah. but at the end of it, you know, the more I looked at it again, the more I was like, okay, these aren't bad. Um, again, they was, this was a tough task. Again, there, there's no, there's not a ton of history to pull from. Again, you're working with a color palette. It's just like, dude, it's, it's October or it's September and Christmas is in like three months. What the hell are you guys doing? So, yeah. um, you know, so it, it wasn't an easy Jersey design. Uh, but I think for, you know, trying to really be true to the roots historically and trying to also, you know, you know, expose incorporate the, the Minnesota wild, uh, you know, especially the team colors and, and maybe modernize a little bit, not bad. Um, but I think again, you know, it, it's, it's for Jersey designs. This was not an easy one. We'll put it that way. Yeah. I, I think your point is very valid and it, and it speaks a lot to how you really have to put your frame of mind here. If you go back historically, right to the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and look at Jersey designs, um, you talk about bridging that gap, that floating stripe. It would have been very easy to take that floating stripe and just put it in the shoulders, kind of to what we've seen in some other, like the New York Rangers, their winter classic jerseys, things like that, and just make the shoulders a little more modernized. But if you if you go back into that era, um, a lot of the shoulder patches and the shoulder striping or coloring, if you will, did look like that, where it was just one color that kind of came down the arm like that, and the striping was done, you know, in the middle of the uniform. It's it's a different take. Um, and that's, I think that's where a lot of people are, where they're kind of letting it marinate a little bit and seeing, and obviously this is just a picture of Jared Spurgeon. They might look totally different on TV. They might look totally different in person. Um, 
And of course, I, I didn't really get a chance to see the back of the jersey too much, too, as well. Um, I, I love the crest in the middle of the jersey. I That's think nice. I think the one thing that might be a more of a detractor than people realize with this uniform is that the stripes on the arms and the floating stripes, how the red is encompassed with the two cream colored stripes, you might get a little bit more of a clash with that when you're looking at it from far away on the, on the ice. Um, you know, if you're in the broadcast booth and I say that because what, when putting a lighter color next to that deep red color, it has a tendency to make it look a little bit lighter or brighter or more pinker, if you will, um, than it would if you were up close to it as well. So that's the only thing too, that I think I would kind of pause it there too, is the challenge of you're trying to create that contrast, but at the same time, you know, you might have a little bit of issue with that red looking a little more pink if you're looking at it from far away on like a TV screen or something like that as well too. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, I mean, if I had, if I had to give it a grade, I mean, uh, purely I, I, four and a half, five out of 10, one of those things that I think for its purpose, for knowing that it is a one-off event, it's not a, a new third jersey. It's something that's meant to represent the history of the city and the region. Um, I think it's okay. It's not oh my God, amazing. But I know a lot of people that ripped on the 2016 stadium series jerseys and those were, I don't know, those were five and a half or sixes. I mean, they weren't anything, oh my God, crazy, but I mean, they were, they did okay. Um, so, but I think, I think it just kind of speaks to the color palette. I don't know that unless we revert back to the Minnesota or the Minnesota North star colors, or if we do kind of a St. Paul saints, like blue and gold and white kind of mashup type thing, I don't know that you're going to really make this fan base happy with a Jersey. That's going to appease everyone. I think it's just going to be way, way too challenging. So I, I kind of asked that question, you know, almost 20% of our, our, um, our social media participants, I wanted to know if you're going to change what thing, what, what would you change about the Jersey? And even this was a little bit all over the board here. Um, a lot of people hated that chest stripe. Like you said, uh, the gloves and pants were not a big sell for a lot of people thought that the coloring was kind of odd. Um, no need for the Minnesota in the state outline. Eh. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. I mean, I could could have gone either way. I mean, not like it was a necessity, but I thought, I thought they did okay with that. Uh, The stripe under the collar can go again, another one of those, Um, but otherwise they're not bad at all. Uh, A lot of people wanted that M logo that used to um, kind of be on the shoulders. Um, I think it's still on the shoulders of the current uh, home jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted that as the crest on, on the middle. Um, A lot of people, you know, polarizing a couple people. I want to know, you know, what did they think if they liked it? A lot of people thought the stadium series jersey was a flop and this one was much better than the stadium series. Um, A lot of people wanted, again, getting rid of that stripes to the top of the chest was kind of the most constant theme. Um, And kind of to cap it off, people said, you know, I wouldn't like them as an all season sweater, but for a special event, they're nice and they're okay. Um, When you go to other fan bases and look at them, there's a little bit more appreciation for it. A lot more people have liked it than the Minnesota fan base has, um, you know, obviously it's still been pretty polarizing, but a lot of the comments that I have read, uh, a lot of other fan bases like them a little bit more than I think Minnesota wild fans do. So that's kind of an interesting little bit to kind of take a look at as well. Um, but yeah, Nick, if you had to give the jerseys a grade, what would you, what would you throw out there? Are we going this on a, uh, out of 10? Yeah. Out of 10. I'd probably give it a seven actually. Okay. Um, only because you know what, you know, again, these, the one thing about the state of hockey is there's so much heritage to this game, right? So, you know, you're trying to really dig back. And again, there's not a whole lot of history with the initial squad itself. So you don't have 
you know, sort of that old time hockey sort of jersey that they had 80 years ago. They still have that. So they were trying to find something that was, and they found it with, you know, uh, the old St. Paul Saints and sort of, you know, those Minneapolis teams. Um, yeah. I'm taking a look at the website actually right now, no, on the back. Um, it's just the nameplate in white and then large numbers. Now, I will mention that, you know, the glove and the breezers, you know, they're trying to mimic the leather look that they had back in the day. You know, I get that the color scheme isn't there, but that's, I, I think, a couple of other uh, winter classic uh, jerseys have gone that way too. Yeah. They also have that elbow patch too, that circular elbow patch that's in that sort of full leather, um, you know, uh, sort of thing there too. So, yeah. you know, it, it's not bad, honestly, um, for what you're trying to accomplish. Like you really give, uh, you know, I suppose true appreciation of the heritage of the, of the state and really trying to show that, you know, with the Minneapolis, the St. Paul and Minnesota against the twin cities, you know, the twins on, you know, their center field, have got Minnie and Paul, you know, shaking hands across the Mississippi river. And yeah. I think they were trying to accomplish that same thing, which is where, you know, Hey, you know, this is, you know, we're trying to be the United, you know, state of hockey. And this is our, you know, kind of throwback to the heritage and the history of the game in the state. And this is what we came up with. So, yeah, um, I think if you look at it from that frame of mind, I think it's all, all right. Um, and again, the more I look at it, the more I'm like, eh, not too bad. So yeah. I, I gave it a seven. I, I think that it, it honestly comes down to the color palette. I think if we're looking at this in, in North star colors, or if we're looking at this, like I said, uh, you know, in St. Paul saints colors, I think people look at it maybe a little bit differently and start to appreciate a little bit more where they're, they're willing to overlook some of the unique striping because the colors are maybe more affectionate to their taste, if you will. But I think a lot of people just have that adverse reaction to the reds um, and they kind of can't get over that. So when you throw it into the rest of a Jersey, I think it's just difficult for people to kind of, kind of get beyond that as well too. But yeah, I mean, I thought they were middle of the pack. I mean, I wasn't like, Oh my gosh, I love them, but I was like, you know, I don't hate them, you know, and I'm, right. and I'm curious, I, I really want to give them a look in the actual event before I, you know, truly comment on them, you know, and what, um, and what they might look like in their full, um, aura and effect, if you will, we're just approaching 40 minutes here on the show. Actually, we're just hitting 40 minutes as we speak right now. We're just past it. Uh, before we move for our extra ice session, Nick, I want to spend about two or three minutes here. We did get some news about Kirill Kaprizov potentially saying that he might be, uh, closer, uh, to a deal. Potentially the deal is already, you know, the, the amount has already been decided, but now it's about contract structure. What rumblings have you heard and how much credence should we take into this? And how right was I about the bridge term year contract? <laughs> well, you're not right just yet. No. Yeah. So it sounds like uh, we're hearing nine to nine and a half million dollars per season. And that's, I think Bruce was mentioned that a couple of times. Um, and I think what is, it seems to be the leak, right. Is that they both sides have sort of come to that four to five year uh, contract length, um, which would mean if that ends up being true, then yes, he would be right. Um, <laughs> I, I almost threw from my mouth there, but um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but again, I, you, you kind of wonder, we talked about this, I think a little off there and a little bit last week too, is how much does CSKA Moscow coming out and saying he's not signing here contribute to maybe some of these talks moving forward, right? Because again, the yeah. whole premise of this was Paul Theofanis, uh, the agent for Kuroka Priestov saying, Hey, if you don't sign here by September one, he is going there. And was it the 28th or 29th, somewhere in there, a few days before the first, yeah. um, the, the team, the, the team yeah. itself came out and says, Hey, he's not signing here. Um, so you kind of have to wonder, um, you know, what, and that, that was the question I asked you, you know, that kind of takes away a little bit of sort of that, 
uh, that leverage away from Theophanis at that point. So how do mm-hmm. you know how do the negotiations go from there? You kind of hope that that was maybe a tipping point. And for Garen, as Stacey mentioned, even this week, that he's still trying to be very, very careful. And again, I think it is more dire and a little bit more tricky the closer you get because, you, you, you know, you come to agreements and you're, you're hoping that as you inch closer to finally putting pen to paper, right? You know, like you don't overstep one thing or you don't say something that all of a sudden it's like a deck of cards and the whole thing collapses again, right? So I think, yeah. you know, they, I think it is close. Um, I think both sides know that, Hey, we're at September 5th now. So we're actually coming up to where, you know, once he signs, there's going to be time for him to take to get a work visa for him to travel back to the United States and get into training camp. I know both sides want that. So, you know, we've said this before and, you know, I'll say it again. This is now this week, especially now is a tale of two cycles, right? And that is one, you know, we're still okay. He's still not, you know, he's still not signed. So we figured this week could continue, but as we saw, said last week is that this week is kind of now important to getting him signed because now it's about timing and getting him over here and getting him back in with the club. Preseason starts in what, two, three weeks coming 28th, up. It's not 28th, yeah. 28th. So it's, it's less than three weeks away. Um, just about actually, no, check that. It's about a little over three and a half weeks away, but yeah. you know, for, for the, for the fans, for the organization and for the player Kaprizov, you know, it's, Time to finally get this thing done, you know, wrap it up and get him over here so we can just put this behind us for three, four, five more years. We'll see what happens. Yeah. At maximum, you got 10 days. I think by the 15th, it's got to be done. It's got to be set in stone. I would say even by next Sunday is a great goal to shoot for, but by next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think is your kind of your last window before it's like, okay, we got a problem here. So they're going to have a week and a half, basically, or a little less than a week and a half to get it done. Um, and it's got to get done uh, if you're Minnesota because you got to get training camp, get the guys on the ice, get them rolling. Um, and I'm excited to see how Marco Rossi and Matt Boldy uh, make the adjustment as well, too. But they got to be playing with a world class player like Kaprizov on the ice, uh, you know, to kind of see that as well. I mean, he's got to be there. <laughs> there's just 100%. There's, there's no other way to put it. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, let's all take a deep breath. A week is a long time when it comes to contract negotiations and business things. Um, and if you're general manager Bill Guerin, um, a week to hammer down a contract for one player. Again, that's a lot of time that you potentially can spend focusing on that and getting that deal done. Not that you want to, but a week is, you know, it's, it's an amount of time that that makes this very feasible. Um, Nick, I think it's, I think it's more about the finish line here, Noah, you know, you talk yeah. about a week being long, you know, for this negotiation, it's, it's a drop in the bucket, you know, but I think for, for where they're at now, from what, we're hearing the negotiations that are at, you know, this is, you're trying to, the president's wrapped, you're trying to put the bow on now. And, you know, again, you're, you're really yeah. trying to be very delicate. You want it to look good. You're trying to finish it off, but you're trying not to rush it. You're trying not, you know, to make sure to take it at the appropriate timing. And as you mentioned too, you know, well, you got seven to 10 days where, you know, for at least not to interfere with any scheduling, you'll be fine. Um, once you get past uh, day 10 into date 11, now we're talking about, okay, you know, at some point do, does do things have to change to get pen to paper so that we can get over here and not interfere with any of the preseason as well as the regular season too uh, coming up for here for the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. So uh, obviously pay attention, you know, the next, uh, you know, not this upcoming, you know, Wednesday, but next Wednesday, that's kind of where we start to go. Oh boy. All right. You know, we got to get something. This is, not looking good, but again, be patient. Hopefully by the time we have the show next week, we'll have a confirmed answer. That would be amazing. That would be awesome um, for this Minnesota Wild Club. Mr. Maxson, do we have anything else to add 
in the main portion of the show. No, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> you look so terrified there. <laughs> for this guy to see the money in his eyes, because he already has been already, can we can we just can we just get this done, please? You know, because what I want to see in my eyes is 50 or more goals going net from this guy's stick. Because I do believe he's a 50 goal scorer in the NHL, and that doesn't happen unless he sees dollar signs. So Dala Dala Bill Carrill, let's get him in, let's get him signed, let's get this thing done. I got really terrified you're gonna take off your shirt on the show. I don't we don't need to terrorize our listeners and I don't this. need to break my camera either. So <laughs> the Huskies Warming House podcast goes rogue. Uh anyway, that that will do it for the main portion of our show. Stick around for our extra eye session. We're gonna talk about uh, a little bit of Arizona Coyotes, Montreal Canadiens, and Carolina Hurricanes, everyone's favorite teams, right? Around the National Hockey League. <laughs> and the and the interesting uh, developments that we've had with some offer sheets here in the past week. Welcome in to the Extra Ice Session. Noah Grant, joining us. I'm my co-host and Nick Maxson. Nick, we had an offer sheet a week ago, and now we are a week later, Sunday, September 5th, and that offer sheet hasn't been matched, and those draft picks have been used within good reason. Fill the listeners in on what the heck has happened uh, in the past week and a half or so. So last Saturday, um, the Carolina Hurricanes pulled the ultimate troll job, and it was absolutely beautiful, right? So uh, <laughs> Carolina definitely uh, a swing back at uh, the Canadiens' offer sheet to Sebastian Ajo, which in theory, if you're going to go to an offer sheet, go big or go home. And Montreal, well, the true semblance of Mark Bergeron came up way short. Um, Sebastian Ajo matched uh, that deal, and it actually saved the Carolina Hurricanes' money. Uh, from what the negotiations were deal after that was that they saved probably about a million to a million and a half dollars per season on that offer sheet. Uh, Carolina, and as you know, Noah, it's sometimes, whether it's sports, whether it's, you know, at home, especially in hockey, sometimes you get hit and the instinct is, all right, I want to get you back, but I'm going to wait for the perfect time to do it. And Carolina did exactly that. They threw an offer sheet to their young number, former three overall pick center, Yasperi Kakaniemi. Um, he immediately signed a one-year $6.1 million offer sheet. And after that, for NHL rules, it's a seven-days uh, period for where Montreal can either uh, match that offer sheet so they would retain the player or they would not match it and there would be drafted compensation. That week passed yesterday, as you mentioned, Noah, and Montreal got a first and a third-round pick from uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. The Hurricanes now have full property rights to Yasperi Kakaniemi. And for uh, Montreal, they know that they needed help down the middle. So they went calling to everybody's favorite uh, Dungeons and Dragons folks. It is the Arizona Coyotes. And they able to get uh, Christian Dvorak. Um, actually, it was a, a center that was on the Minnesota Wilds uh, radar, too, for a while. Um, a good young center, 25 years old. He's signed for four more years, including this year, at a very good cap hit. Uh, cap, I believe, is a f- uh, five point, uh, sorry, 4.4. Yeah. Five million for, uh, until 2025. Uh, good center. I think the big knock on him is maybe hit him in the faceoffs, but on the offensive zone, he's a big body. Um, he's got um, he's got a good shot, and I think a lot of folks thought, as many other players uh, maybe have been there before, is with Arizona. Sometimes you know the numbers are maybe limited because of maybe some of the. Uh, just where the team is at. Again, it's just, it is what it is down in Arizona. Uh, but so that's kind of what happened. And uh, here we are, uh, Montreal taking some draft picks, going out and uh, getting their, uh, a different center, um, a proven NHL center uh, for, for those uh, naysayers. 
Um, and, and for a guy that I think will bring a little bit more size and uh, probably a little bit more grit to his game. And I don't know. We'll see. I, I think at the end of the day, both teams win in this, in this arch, um, Carolina becomes, I think, a uh, pretty in a very, very stacked, um, you know, uh, Atlantic division. Um, yeah. They get a little bit more offense to them, which they lack, especially in the deep rounds of the playoffs. And, and for Montreal, they replace the center that they thought uh, maybe was going to be part of the future, maybe not. Um, and for Arizona, they get draft capital continually because, uh, well, we know it's going to be Arizona, Houston, or whatnot. Who knows what's going on <laughs> down there? But uh, they are definitely, speaking of Arizona, Actually, I want to talk about this real quick because the draft, you talk about draft capital, right? You can talk about teams that are rebuilding. Um, listen to this, folks. In next year's draft, Arizona has not one, not two, three first-round picks and not one, not two, but five second-round picks <laughs> in next year's draft. Um just a little bit, right? Yeah. So are you talking about a team that's uh, rebuilding it? I think obviously when they, you know, they made some trades too, but when you give up uh, one of your best young forwards uh, over to Vancouver, uh, Connor Garland, um, I can trade just uh, trading Christian uh, Deforak. Again, they also traded Darcy Kemper. Their writing was on the wall and uh, holy cow, this team is going full rebuild mode here this year. And the draft picks would certainly tell you exactly why. <laughs> yeah, I like how this team's going full rebuild mode after they were in half rebuild mode for like the past <laughs> 20 years yeah. yeah exactly um you know i look at this deal a lot of people like you mentioned the knock on christian dvorak um a lot of montreal canadians fans were not happy with this and i know minnesota wild fans were always saying you know why 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 do we want a guy like christian dvorak i gotta be honest and i and i have his stats pulled up here he he is honestly i think a little bit a good comparison is like a more offensive Jewel Erickson Eck without the, you know, without the, I think the X factor defensively that Erickson Eck has, but a little bit more offensive upside. Okay. He's been in the league for five years now, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. 33 points in 78 games his first season, 37 and 78 the next year. A uh, year after that, I believe he was hurt, if I'm not mistaken. So he had 20 games there, was, yeah. seven points. Um, last year, 38 points in 70 games played this year and only 56 games. He was at 31 points. So on pace for at least probably 40 points, probably a career best for him um, potentially uh, if the season had continued onward, um, who knows what his production would have been through the end, you know, 146 points in 302 um, career NHL games consistently had besides the season season, he was hurt 15 or more goals. Hasn't been a 20 goal score, but he's been in between that 15 to 20 goal threshold every season. Um, very consistent with his point production, a good 200 foot player. And at $4.4 million a year through 2025, I, I'm kind of looking at this thinking, geez, the Minnesota wild really could have used a guy like him, a guy that, you know, really is the, the more offensive upside in Nick Benino, if you will, good consistency, you know, on both ends of the rink. Um, what a great pickup, I think, for Montreal. They had a guy in Kakaniemi, and Carolina is getting him where I think Kakaniemi potentially has a little bit more offensive upside. And I think that that's where Canadians fans were going to. But you're getting, I would say, a proven NHL center right now that's going to really solidify, you know, your middle six on that Montreal Canadiens group and really give him a lot of stability, good offense. I believe he's a good penalty killer too, if I'm not mistaken, Correct. you know, yeah. like you're getting a guy who has a lot of tools in his toolbox and can do everything. And you're getting a player that's going to help you be successful right now and help you transition as an organization. Kakanami might end up being the better center 
We don't know, but I think Dvorak right now, I mean, what is he? He's only, he's only 25, you okay. know, that's the other thing. And at six foot one ninety five, those are some pretty good numbers that he's put up so far on a really, really shitty Arizona team to boot. So, um, I, I gotta be honest. I, I think this is, this is a move well done by Montreal using the, the trolling to their advantage. Um, what do you think? Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting how both teams ended up being, you know, you know, uh, I suppose getting better from this, yeah. you know, again, uh, Carolina gets a little more skilled on the middle, which, you know, they definitely showed they needed last year in terms of their depth, uh, especially in the later playoff rounds uh, when they ran into a Tampa Bay lightning team that was out for blood the second time yeah. um, for Montreal. Um, you know, again, you know, it's interesting when you actually talk about uh, the last you know, kind of few day games for Jesper Kakanyama, but he was a healthy scratch for the last day in the cup final game. Um, he felt like he had played his last game in a Montreal Canadiens uniform. So there was already maybe some tension with the player and potentially with the general manager in terms of where they saw, you know, each other in terms of, you know, their value on the team. Uh, but Montreal for, for losing a player that, again, as you mentioned, probably has some more upside and, you know, on a more offensively, um, uh, I suppose charged team like Carolina maybe will have the ability to really exercise that skill. Uh, whereas Montreal, as we saw, was more of the defensive, you know, just anaconda, you know, for most of the playoffs last season. And uh, Christian Dvorak, you know, as you mentioned, not quite as the offensive upside, but does have it there. But, you know, you compared him with Jules Erickson, again, sort of that just pain on the rear end to play against, which he can be again with that size. Again, he's young. He can skate pretty decently. He's not the best skater in the world, but, you know, he can pot a few here and there. But again, down the middle, we all know that when you get the playoffs, it's all about your depth down the middle. It's for losing Casper. Yeah, uh, Sperry, I did it again. Kakan the Emmy. Um, this is not a bad replacement. Again, as you mentioned, I wish the Wild would have got a, a pickup on him too, as far as a, a center. Uh, but again, you know, we can have a, a separate debate about the Wild. But you know, for both teams, this may end up working out great for both, and for yeah. for and even for the third for Arizona because now there's stockpile, as I mentioned, with eight picks in the first two rounds of this upcoming draft and who knows uh, that they get more. And, and speaking of the coyotes, uh, a quick note, um, I want to get, I want to actually throw a, a quick trivia question out to you, uh, Noah Grant. And that is for next season, how many forwards does uh, Arizona have signed through next year? <laughs> I'm assuming you're not going to allow me 10 seconds to look it up clearly. No. Um, on it's their a trivia NH- question, not a lookup session. <laughs> on their on their NHL roster, I'm assuming yes. is what you mean. How many yeah. forwards for this upcoming season or for, after for 22-23? How many do they have signed? So beyond this year, I'm gonna go with seven, three. What? <laughs> they have Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, and Andrew Lapp. And I don't even think Andrew Lapp's played the last couple of years because I think he's been injured. So, yeah, but I mean, in theory, contractual wise, they have three, everybody else is there a UFA and they have two RFAs in Lawson Krauss and uh, Christian Fisher. That is it. And then they have three defensemen signed that Jacob Chikrin, Shane Gossespierre and Connor Timmons, who mind you, two of them were acquired via trade. So, so what, so what you're telling me is that when Arizona moves to Tempe, they just got to take a van, not a bus. Yeah, at this point, <laughs> or if you want to take a five-person propeller plane, that could work too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I got to be honest with you, Nick, when you're on the border, when it comes to propeller planes, be careful about where you're flying that plane. You never know. <laughs> That's so but, true. But, but I mean, um, I like you mentioned previously. Um, 
you know, both teams had an opportunity to benefit from this. And when you lose a third overall pick and you pick up a 2014 second rounder, who's been more productive at this particular, you know, point and juncture in his career in Christian Dvorak, it's not often you lose a player of that caliber and end up replacing him with a player, you know, of that caliber too, uh, in, in that, in that sense. And obviously they could have, could have, could have kept um, Jesperi as well too, but I mean, yeah, it's one of those rare moments in the NHL where we might see both teams be successful um, in the end of this. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess if I had to give a, a grade, if you will, I I think the Canes, I think this is a B plus for them simply because I think uh, the term or not the term, the price tag, I should say, um, for Jesperi leaves a little bit to be desired. I think if you're the Montreal Canadiens, I give this an A minus. I think this is a nice savvy move in a situation that could have been, you know, not the greatest for Montreal. And now we have our answer to the trivia question. When is the last time we've had a successful offer sheet in the national hockey league? It's not 2007. It's not Dustin Penner anymore. So uh, I flip it. I give Carolina an A plus just because again, for an offer sheet to entice the player, right? You do overpay an offer sheets. That's just kind of the way these things go. Unless you're Sebastian Ajo. Unless you're Sebastian Ajo. (laughs) Well, again, that's when, you know, the team doesn't know what the heck they're doing. Sorry, uh, Mark Bergen, but that was just not really well. Um, uh, But, you know, again, as as you talked last week too, it's it's the one-year hit because you're going to be able to renegotiate with him in different ways. Uh, on an extension, mind you, you, he could sign a different contract for less money for a longer term on um, some point throughout the season. Mind you, if he gets to his RFA status and then the qualifying offer becomes 6.1 at the minimum. Yeah. So if for Carolina, maybe, um, you know, you're trying to avoid that or even more. So again, if he, if he does play well, and let's just say maybe Carolina, just the team is a, well, now you have value for him to, as a trade option too. So like either way, Carolina wins and plus the troll job was so good. Oh my <laughs> gosh. The drama between Carolina and Montreal, that the way that they, from the, from the announcement to pretty much quoting Mark Vergevin to the way that uh, Carolina on their Twitter page did it in French. I mean, all, it was just all of its glory, that drama, <laughs> we need more of that just petty yeah. drama in the NHL. That to me was fantastic. Uh, for Montreal, B plus again, and I, you know, I think we haven't talked about this enough yet too. You know, is that I think even stylistically, I think even Christian Dvorak could fit in better with the way that Montreal displays the game. They're more of that defensive trap style team. They're not a run and gun style. And you kind of saw with Kaka and the Emmy, he definitely is more on that offensive first mindset. Whereas Dvorak again, being with Arizona, sorry, Arizona, I'm, I'm going to continually pound the, pound the hammer and poke the dead bear, but uh, just, you know, not the most uh, talented team. So you kind of have to work with what you get, not really able to, go full steam up the ice, even though last couple of years, you know, with some of those pieces um, that they again had to give away. I think Connor Garland, I think was really going to push the pace up the ice. And now he's uh, a Vancouver Canucks. Uh, thank you, Jim Benning for that trade. Um, and then also thank you, Jim Benning for taking the over Ekman Larson uh, deal because why, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you were, you were talking about, um, and, and this maybe is our, our closing thought here as we move forward, obviously we're talking about, you know, how did Montreal do? How did Carolina do? My question is this, if you only have three players locked up in Arizona, where does Phil the thrill end up? Where does Phil Kessel end up? Well, he's going to be 34 years of age. He's 33 this year. Um, This is interesting because Phil, you know, first of all, he was a leaf for a while. If, you know, before they, you know, drafted by Boston, now became a leaf and, you know, he, well, we don't have to go to uh, to that, right? So first he's got a no move clause, a modified, no trade clause. 
Um, so, you know, he's got that um, from, part from of his, his days at, from his days, from his days in Pittsburgh, in, in Pittsburgh. but yeah. this is interesting. You know, I, I don't think Arizona is done moving players. There's no question that they aren't. Uh, now the question is going to be because again, with Arizona and the sort of money issues is this sort of the throwaway year per se, where, um, you know, do they look at a guy like Phil Castle? And I think you would. We're a guy that has proven that he can be a playoff performer. Uh, he's definitely going to be um, a absolute, probably your top 10 uh, players to be on the trade board coming up this trade, uh, this trade season here for the NHL. You have some other pieces in here that probably could be to be dumped out. Um, I think maybe the only couple of touchables we have is Clayton Keller. Um, Nick Schmaltz is because of his term, probably. Uh, he's got five years left in his deal. Maybe Jacob Chicken would be the only three people that aren't moving, but I think everybody else has the option to get naughty here. Um, and I think for Phil Kessel, again, for a playoff performer, for a guy that still can skate, even though with his diet consists of cheeseburgers and hot dogs, uh, <laughs> he can still skate better than, you know, 95% of the players that are out there, even though he's had 33 years of age, still got a great shot. So I think he's, he could be a, a nice trade a- acquisition. The problem with that is that Arizona would have to retain salary. His cap that is $6.8 million. And again, a lot of teams that are towards the top, um, of the, as you could say, the proverbial leaderboard, our cap strap, they would have to be a retained salary. But, you know, for one year, I don't think Arizona would, you know, mind. And if they're going to retain that salary, again, maybe they get another first-round pick back to them. Yeah. And I think uh, Arizona, again, is going to be um, trying to save some money here as well as really doing a full-on rebuild here as they look towards what could be their new home and maybe a new beginning in Tempe, which I think would be the best for the squad, best for the NHL, and best for the game of hockey being right next to Arizona State. We talked about this before last week. Just a quick thought here, Noah, that is there was a time for maybe five years ago, there was a joint proposal to build a joint facilities between Arizona State and uh, in the Arizona Coyotes. And that fell through. Arizona State finally got themselves their own new stuff. And uh, maybe Arizona will join them maybe less than five minutes away from campus. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited, hopefully, for Arizona to hopefully stick around, find a new home kind of get their legs under them. It's been not only with the arena stuff and the status of the team with the, the whole management stuff with the um, uh, city of Glendale. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell Miller stuff with uh, um, the draft combine stuff. Arizona's had a really, really tough go of it. Um, Katie Strang hasn't made their life any easier, nor should she, but <laughs> she's really opened up that door as well too. It's been a tough time in the desert. Um, and honestly, I just want to see them hopefully get back to some sort of form and keep wearing those Kachina jerseys and they got and they have the they have the center ice logo now. And those are those are pretty jerseys. And you know, a lot of this is gonna hinge though as we look forward to a big part of the future, whether it is in Arizona or where else is gonna be what does Tempe do now? I mean, a yeah. lot of the future is at the hands of the Tempe city council and whether, you know, and we don't know how many other bids there are. We don't know what Arizona's bid is. And you got to know that the city of Tempe is looking at the history and the relationship with the city of Glendale. What kind of decks do they have? Um, also what kind of capital they can come up with, because you know, for Arizona, the city of Glendale, that that's got to be a clean sheet before they move out of there. If indeed they yeah. do, which kind of sounds like that, that is, a dead horse at this point that there hasn't really been any sort of attempt, at least from what we've heard of any um, sort of renegotiating. Um, and again, they're still up, even if Tempe does approve it, they have to, uh, 
potentially a three-year gap that they got to fill uh, before that uh, construction is completed. But um, even before we get to that point, uh, Noel, there's going to be a lot of eyes on the city of Tempe and what they do. I, I don't remember reading, um, I'm not sure if you did read, uh, a timeline of when they're going to review the bids and when they would announce uh, the winning bid. I didn't see yeah. anything like that. But, you know, well, this will definitely be the, the next biggest step for this organization is what does Tempe do? And uh, if, you know, we're all hoping they say yes to the Coyotes, but <clears throat> let's say they don't. That's huge. Um, so that does definitely put more of that nasty relocation work back up for probably to the, the top of most of the list. And, um, you know, does that mean at that point, if it happens, does Gary Bettman step in? Does, you know, uh, do the other initial owner step in and just try to make uh, make good with the city of Glendale? Uh, to me, I don't think I would even entice the city of Glendale at this point. They've made it very clear they want a different direction. Um, so I think your options become very, very limited if the city of Tempe goes another direction. So uh, we'll see. But, uh, you know, like I said, Arizona has been kind of a cursed franchise for a while. Um, and yeah. with, you know, with where they're at. Um, you know, you kind of hope that they can stay in the, in Arizona. I think, you know, again, it, it's just haven't had a good go, you know, for quite a while and they, they need a good break. And so if Tempe can provide that form, great. If not, uh, this could look very, very different very, very soon. Yeah. 2012, really the last year that the, that the then Phoenix Coyotes really kind of had a really good run outs by none other than our Dustin Penner Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But and the LA Kings that year as well in the Western Conference final. But speaking of things ahead, I think that will do it for uh, our show today. Uh, looking ahead as well, we've got episode number 78, of course, on Sunday. Uh, don't forget to check that one out. Still working, I think, on a guest this week. I know we've been kind of hit or miss with guests. I know in a couple weeks we're going to have Brett Larson. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't really know how to explain it. I mean, it's kind of been a little bit of, you know, I know people are getting back into school, getting back into the rhythm of things. It's been kind of hard to connect with people. And the other thing too, and I guess to be truthful and frank is that we've, I don't want to say we've enjoyed the time off, but it's kind of been nice for us to kind of, you know, put things into focus as we get ready for things in the upcoming season as well, too. So we're not, um, we're, we're actively looking for guests, you know, we're not trying to not have guests, you know, just to not have guests. Um, but that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, and I think we're doing all right. We've appreciate, we've appreciated the listenership. Um, we've appreciated those who have really continued to stick with the main portion of the show, which seems to get it have gotten more and more successful as we've gone through the summer. So it's been really exciting to see where we're transitioning less than a month away from some Huskies hockey, Nick. So, um, it's going to be a good time. Anything else you want to add here, Mr. Maxson? Um, it's Sunday um, for everybody that's out there in the state of hockey. And uh, do I dare say even North Dakota? Do I even want to wish people out there good? <laughs> I suppose I could. Um, no, have a safe and happy uh, Labor Day weekend for everybody. I know for a lot of the parents that are out there, especially in Minnesota, the kids, this is their last big weekend, last hurrah. So enjoy it. Be safe. Because mm -hmm. school starts on Tuesday. Oh, my gosh. Well, we're already two weeks in. Also, why do we care, right? Yeah. So, uh, But be safe, have fun, and we'll see you next week here in the deck. Come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.